Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to the BBM Global Network with 25 years in broadcast audio and video production. Our passionate team creates content and marketing for the world of Internet talk radio. If you've got a passion, come join us at BBMGlobalNetwork.com. The BBM Global Network. Your voice is now heard. Welcome to Finding Sanity in Co-Parenting with your host, Laura McMahon. Laura will help you regain your sanity by addressing the three most important areas of co-parenting, communications, scheduling, and finances. In addition, Laura brings her practical stepmom life experience each week and invites experts from the divorce and co-parenting professional ecosystem to share insights and answer listener questions. So please, welcome the host of Finding Sanity in Co-Parenting, Laura McMahon. Good evening, I'm Laura McMahon, and this is Sanity in Co-Parenting by Kim Crew. And I'm coming to you live this Monday evening on the Bold Brave Media Network. And this week, I have the great pleasure of speaking with Kathleen Fisher. Kathleen is a registered nurse with a master's degree in education, an endorsement in gifted education, and is ICF coaching certified at the PCC level, and she is based out of Dallas, Texas. She has worked in public health settings and public schools, presented professional and corporate development seminars, taught at the university level, and continues to be a popular speaker in corporate and community settings. The author of two books on teens and family life balance, Kathleen, offers both family and parenting coaching and small group coaching for teens, young adults, and parents. She combines her passion for the adolescent years with observation and research on families and kids to create a very special presentation style. Participants of all ages agree that her classes are lively, informative, thoughtful, and uplifting, and I will add that I have greatly enjoyed the many conversations that Kathleen and I have had over the last few weeks. Did I, uh, did I miss anything there, Kathleen? <laughs> I don't know. Laura, it might be useful to add that I am the mother of three, including a child from a divorced family. So Absolutely. I come to this particular group with a special heart. Yes, for sure. So um, it is probably worth mentioning to our audience that um, while you're not 
focused by any means on a divorce community, all of your information is extremely relevant. And because of your personal background, you can certainly uh, understand what the divorce community may be going through with all of this. Absolutely. Um, so if you don't mind, I'd love to just um, ask right off the bat, how how did you get to this point in your career? Because that's there's like a lot on this resume. And uh, it's just really interesting, I think, um, from a, a background standpoint to understand how you have the insight that you do these days. Well, I have an older friend who says none of my stories are short anymore. Uh, <laughs> that's true. Uh, I started out my professional career as a registered nurse and I actually worked in labor and delivery and it didn't take me long to discover that I have a very bad attitude about handing a newborn to a 13 or 14 year old mom. And I thought I do not need to be in here. I need to be out in the world turning off the faucet. So I left hospital nursing and I went to community health nursing, but still I was often too late. The kids that I was meeting in a healthcare setting were pregnant, infected, sexually active. I needed to be farther upstream and encounter them earlier in their decision-making. So I went back and picked up credentials in education and worked in Dallas Independent School District, uh, teaching as well as writing uh, in arenas of health education, which was nutrition, child development, weight control, sex education, contraception, uh, drugs and alcohol. And I really loved doing that work until I went through a divorce and just found I couldn't afford to be a teacher, which is a pretty pitiful state of affairs. But um, I left that and I went into, uh, made quite a leap into sales and marketing and advertising continued doing that until I met the man who would become my second husband, married, had a second string of children. Now, interestingly, my first child was 16 when my second one was born and almost 20 when the third one was born. So I had kids at home for 38 years, which <laughs> kind of makes my eyes roll back in my head. But anyway, um, it was great and I, and I enjoyed it. But the, the benefit of that, which I didn't realize at the time, was that I was in the parenting business for decades, and I got to see from a front row seat some of the changes that were going on culturally within families, and it all tapped back to um, the work that I, the professional work that I had done. When my second child was about 12, a youth minister of our church said, you know, I just don't like the way that we're talking to kids about sex. I sure wish I had someone that would take that on. And I looked at my kid and I looked at him and I said, oh, I'll do that. <laughs> and uh, my daughter and my son died a million deaths to have their mom teaching sex ed, but they got over <laughs> it. I got over it. But it, it was a, it, professionally, it was a terrific experience because it was the first time that I had been able to say, before I educate your kid, I need to talk with you about what's going on developmentally, what they need to hear from you. And so before I'd see kids for a weekend sexuality event, I would visit with parents. And 
they came out of that evening, the parents came out of that evening saying, really like what you say about dating and sex, but what about curfew? What about homework? What about allowance? Do you think you could teach a class on parenting teenagers? Now, let me just say parenthetically here, it's been my observation that there are tons of baby books. There are tons of while you're pregnant books. There are even lots and lots of books on elementary school and school age kids. But the line kind of goes silent as the kids round the bend into the second decade. And I don't, there, there certainly are some books, but I have a hard time pointing to some real Hallmark books. So I, for one, feel like this is the most difficult time of parenting, that second decade. And if you stop and think about the difference between a 10-year-old and a 20-year-old, it is extraordinary, and it is quite a period for parenting that requires thoughtfulness and intention and, oh, my gosh, patience beyond. So that has always been the arena that interested me. I started with a very simple couple of classes and expanded and expanded and expanded and wrote some. Now I'm in the process of recording those classes so that they can be purchased online because if there's been anything we've all learned from COVID, it's that online is a real uh, possibility in terms of meeting our own time and schedule and availability. So um, it's been quite a career. I've had wonderful opportunities with uh, parents who were returning veterans, parents who were leaving prostitution, parents who are exceptionally wealthy and operate in very high um, echelons. So it, it's been quite a ride. Yeah, it, it definitely sounds like it. But I, I also agree with you that um, right about the time as a parent, you're starting to feel totally lost in how to handle situations. It's definitely within the second decade, there is a lack of resources. And so um that's why I'm so excited to be having this conversation with you this evening because we're really going to get into this. And I hope that if uh, anyone wants to dig in further, they really look you up um, to, to follow up on, on the fantastic information that you've got to share. Uh, we do have to go to a quick break. So we'll be back in just a couple of minutes and uh, we'll start digging into the good stuff. So hang in there. We'll be back in just two minutes. What if there were a super tiny device that could diagnose the brain and is smaller than a single human hair? What if you could see inside the brain to help an epilepsy patient during surgery or to help the fight against Parkinson's disease? Dr. Patricia Broderick is proud to announce the Broderick Probe, a biomedical and electronic breakthrough. Imagine a probe to help with the understanding and potential cure of brain-related diseases. To learn more, listen live to the Easy Sense Radio Show with host Dr. Broderick, Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Eastern, on the Bold Brave Media Network and TuneIn Radio. And to help support the Broderick Foundation, please go to Easy sense.com and learn how with your help we can fight these horrific brain disorders that's easysense.com to learn more and help support the broderick foundation 
If you seek a courageous advocate, prepare to champion your rights with consumer service agencies that support aging populations, Carol Ann Hamilton is the one for you. Carol Ann is an elder care coach, author, and speaker with a quarter million hours lived experience successfully supporting unculpable aging parents. As a result of a challenging journey, Carol Ann revolutionizes how stressed out caregivers restore serenity to their worlds. She also brings over 25 years of change management expertise in Fortune 500 settings to catalyze urgent transformation within the elder care industry. Carol Ann is a popular speaker at conferences across North America. She has appeared via TV, radio, and print globally. Now you can tune in weekly to get a dose of her inspiration plus down-to-earth advice to cope with even the most difficult aging parents. Listen Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Eastern on Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. We are back with Sanity in Co-Parenting by Kin Crew. I'm Laura McMahon, and this evening I am speaking with Kathleen Fisher. Uh, Kathleen, we just got... A fantastic breakdown of how you got to this point. And um, one thing that I really like that you say in the way that you describe um, the the group of kids that you focus on is the second century. Second the second decade. decade. The second decade. <laughs> <laughs> second, second century would be really impressive. Second decade. Um, because you're right, things re- like you get into the preteen zone and man, things start changing. I mean, I, uh, my youngest stepson was seven when I came into the picture and, um, my oldest stepdaughter was, um, had just turned 12. So I really <laughs> stepped in right to see all of those changes happening and, um, you know, I looking back on it, um, I think my husband and I agree, like we did some things really well and we really learned a lot from some of the other things. And I, man, would I have killed to have someone like you to pick, pick, pick your brain during that time. <laughs> well, what would you have asked? <laughs> Um, you know, it's just, I, I think that um, we've talked about the fact that kind of the thing that we're really focusing on tonight is this toolkit for resilience that you put together. And I think that this is so important because um, it's it's a combination of understanding what your kids are going through developmentally um, and, under, and, and kind of giving you a little bit of a reality check too. Like these are what you're required to provide as a parent. Um, and then these are the things that ultimately you have to keep in mind which is you're not raising children you're raising adults and and so preparing them sufficiently to become effective adults has a lot to do with you and them it's not you know it's not a one-sided process so um let's let's jump into the toolkit because there's the three parts that I just I want to make sure that we have time to get to all of this because I loved it Love the structure of it. Um, I'm not sure which three parts you're talking about, but let's well, the three we... the three requirements basically. The three of... jobs of a parent. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was just going to say let's start with that because yeah. honestly, 
I think we sort of rock along and I don't know, maybe we think we're required to provide them shelter, we're required to provide them a school uniform or whatever. Um, but when you kind of reduce all of the functions of a parent to sort of the essentials, it seems to me that they fall into three categories. The first one has to do with safety. And that is fairly straightforward with young kids. You know, make sure they don't cross the street without looking. Make sure they're wearing their helmet when they ride their bikes. Hand me your keys. I saw you drive in without your seatbelt on. So safety is their job. And with any kind of luck, by the time they head into adolescence, they've got the basics of that nailed down. Now, 13-year-old boys notwithstanding, teenage boys notwithstanding, I should say, <laughs> seem to have a particular magnetic draw to stupid ideas and disaster. But <laughs> but, but our, our job is their safety. And it's useful for us to get clear about that. The second job has to do with decency. Now, that cuts a much, much, much broader swath. It is everything from... Mom, I don't know why I have to get up on the ladder and get the leaves out of grandma's gutter because it is what young, healthy people do to help elderly and firm. It's your price of being on the planet. Get up the ladder, buddy. Um, to why I can't hit my little brother in the back seat, even if you didn't see me, all the way to, God, Mom, I don't know what the matter with oral sex is. She offered. I didn't make her do it. I'm not a pervert. And, and so... If you stop and think about a 10-year-old and a 20-year-old, a 10-year-old is pretty much going with your values and your decency. If you tell them, you know, it's not nice to speak mean to their friend or we have to invite that kid we don't like to the birthday party because they're the only kid in the class who's getting left out, they kind of go along with that. Along about 14 or 15, oh my gosh, it feels like the wheels are coming off because in my observation, kids get probably several lessons a day that would fall under the heading of decency. Can you roll your eyes and use a snarky voice with your coach? How about with, if you're a junior in high school, can you use it with a freshman in high school? And so there are all these lessons in how am I going to be in relationship with other people? How am I going to manage my own values? And those all fall under the heading of decency. So, so we've got safety, number one, decency, number two. And I have recently, not that recently, added a third job, and that is exiting our kids' life. So it's as if our eye is always on the door. We're on our way out. And, of course, what that means is the kid has to learn to manage her own safety, her own decency. And so that 10 years between age 10 and 20, we ought to see a trajectory in which more and more the kid is managing their own safety. They are making good choices and decent choices. Now, does that mean they get it 100%? Of course not. So instead of seeing a straight line of improvement, we're likely to see a jiggy line where they're doing pretty mm -hmm. well, pretty well, whoops, dropped out the bottom, pretty well, pretty, whoops, shot out the top. So we're looking for that trend line. 
that they are learning to manage their own safety, their own decency. And when we see that, that's our cue that we can take our next step toward the exit door. Right. Right. And and it probably is important to mention, you know, that the ultimate goal really is that exit, because I think it's, you know, there's there are some things that are trending in society that, um, you know, seem to have greatly elongated that timeline, um, maybe well into the 20s. Some of it is some of it's, you know, absolutely choice. And then some of it isn't choice, like the ability to even afford to be on your own. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I do have some specific questions for you, but we'll get to those in a couple minutes, um, because we need to take our second break here. But when we get back, uh, I'll be digging in a little bit deeper to how to handle some adolescent situations. So hang in there. We'll be right back. Right. Tune into It's All About You with host Dr. Martha Latz, a lively weekly broadcast on BBM Global Network, one of the most empowering shows for time-starved, overscheduled multitaskers. The professional expertise of Dr. Latz is directly available live every Thursday at 1 p.m. to answer and address concerns about relationships, life transitions of career, meeting, dating, and committed relationships. It's All About You with Dr. Latz will expand your understanding of career current concerns across your relationships by broadening and expanding possible solutions in developing skills for mutually desired outcomes. Dr. Martha's expertise is as a licensed marriage and family therapist, life, transition coach, and all things to do with communication at work, home, and with friends. Check out her website at auniquetherapycenter.com. Dr. R.C. will share extraordinary resources and services that promote educational success as well as making a difference in the lives of all social workers as well as the lives of children, adolescents, and teens of today. She will have open discussions addressing many of the issues that we face about our youth and how being employed in the uniquely skilled profession of social work for over 18 years has taught invaluable lessons through her personal experiences. She will also provide real-life facts, examples, and personal stories that will confirm that why serving as a child advocate is extremely beneficial when addressing the needs of the whole child. Listen live to Dare to Soar, Saturdays, 10 a.m. Eastern, on the BBM Global Network. Network and tune in radio as Dr. RC will provide thought provoking information that will empower, encourage, and strengthen students, families, and communities across our nation. You can also visit her at soarwithkatie.com. We're back with Sanity and Co-Parenting by Kin Crew. I'm Laura McMahon, and this evening I am speaking with Kathleen Fisher, who is a parenting and family coach focusing on adolescent years. And um, we kind of talked about the the three requirements of parenting right before in a, in a very broad sense. But I had a couple specific questions, Kathleen, that I wanted to ask you and really, one of the first ones, it's very general, but um, how do you approach helping and supporting a child who is dealing with a, a mental health crisis? Um, this is something that I I personally feel very strongly about. I think mental health is a topic that 
needs to be addressed more. Um, and it's also one that completely scares the crap out of parents when they have a child that's struggling with this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a great question. And oh my gosh, especially given the past 18 months, I think it's uh, higher on our list than it's ever been. But I would like to just sort of step back and and take a little bit of perspective in that looking at mental health and crisis if you stop and think about it learning to deal with difficult things is something that we learn very gradually okay it doesn't come on us all at once at one time and i, I want to share a story which i just love and um I kind of, I, I wish you could see me smiling because telling the story always kind of makes me kind of sappy. Um, <laughs> I can hear I you smiling. A, that counts. <laughs> I, I have a friend who could, could I just say, in all honesty, could be just the teeniest bit neurotic. And not, she wanted to move into an exclusive area of Dallas that has um, four elementary schools. It's a, it's a, a almost like a private public school district so it's a very small district very high-end property very demanding parents and very outstanding education well she decided that not only did she want to move into this neighborhood but she wanted to put her kids in the best elementary school in that district well that's sort of ludicrous because they're all just dynamite right so she decides that she is going to do what she does in her work which is develop a questionnaire, make an appointment with each of the principals and interview them and decide which one is the best principal because as the principal is, so goes the school, is her theory. So she gets that process going and she ends up in the office of a, a guy, I think I'll just not mention his name, but he is wonderful. He is one of those just old hands in education who understands children and understands parents and just knows what it takes to make a successful academic setting. So she gets in his office and she says, Dr. So-and-so, I'd like to know if you think that affluence causes problems for the children in this community. And he thought about it a minute and he's this old guy nearing retirement at the time and he said, no ma'am, I don't really think that's what causes the problem. She said, really? And what do you think causes problems? And he thought a minute and he said, well, ma'am, here's the thing. A second grader has second grade size problem solving skills. But generally, they have second grade size problems. So we let them solve them and they grow. So that next year they have third grade size problems and third grade size skills. Fourth grade, fourth grade fifth grade, fifth grade. And he said, what I observe in this community is that a lot of times a mom will see her second grader struggling with some problems and she will swoop in because she is very good at solving second grade size problems. So she will solve them and sure enough, they get fixed. But she said, the problem is that the kid doesn't learn. So next year, he still has second grade size problems, skills, but third grade size problems. Likewise, fourth grade, same story, seventh grade. Until by 11th grade, I hear her standing with her hands on her hips, shaking her head saying, he can't figure his way out of a paper bag. 
And I would like to ask her, when would he have the opportunity to have learned and practiced? <laughs> I love that yep, story. Yep. <laughs> because that is exactly, when we stop and think about it, that is what kids have to do. We can't go and tell them the solution after their very beginning years. We've got to have them work it through. And I had a dad in coaching several years ago, and he was a, I can only describe him as a super, super type A. I mean, whatever's on the other side of type A, that's what this guy was. And and his kid was just a regular kid, right? And the dad kept swooping in and giving them answer. But the kid was by now like 15 or 16 years old. And the dad developed his own word, which I just loved. He called it bottom lining. And he'd say, I'm bottom lining it again for him, aren't I? And I would go, yep. And the kid would go, yep. And, and it's sort of like if I had a very complex math problem that I really didn't know how to solve, but you did. And you came and you looked over my shoulder and I'm just laboring away and I'm trying to figure out which step to do next. And, and you said, Kathleen, the answer is 12. And, and so I would write down a 12. Well, that is the right answer for that problem. But now I have to go to the next problem. And I still don't know how to solve it. And I think that that is so often what we're looking at. And and I, I, I don't fault parents for sure because they remember back to how miserable it was to be in middle school and nobody lets you sit at their table and you feel really left out and it feels terrible. And they so want their kid to not ache with that. But I would like to propose that a lot of things that we see right now, that we are often to even slap a clinicalized term like social anxiety or depressed. Boy, I would love to bury those words deep, 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 deep. Because so much of what we see is probably on the normal spectrum. Is it uncomfortable for the kid? You bet. Is it unpleasant? Do we? Do we wish and do they wish that we could get there another way? Absolutely. But there is some benefit to growing through that and to developing the skills to either A, avoid it, or B, cope with it when it comes along. And that's not exactly a mental health crisis. So we can talk more about that in just a little bit. Yes, and we definitely will. We, we're going to go to a quick break and we're going to come right back over to this topic because I think that we're just about to get in to really the meat of, of how <laughs> we can help our kids in those situations. Great. So hang in there. We'll be right back. Great. If you're a person caring for someone living with dementia, then this program is for you. It's designed for families and friends coping with the challenges of caregiving. The foundation of care, Susan Kohler believes, is communication. Innovative Dementia Care with Susan Kohler provides strategies to keep the lines of communication open between you and your loved one, increase quality interactions, decrease the burden of daily care for you, the caregiver. Join Susan, 11 a.m. Eastern, on the BBM Global Network. 
Susan and her guests will share techniques so you can facilitate your loved one's ability to safely follow your instructions, participate in daily activities, and express daily wants and desires. To learn positive solutions, creative ideas, and practical strategies that will build a healthy foundation of care. Mike Zorick, a three-time California state champion in Greco-Roman wrestling at 114 pounds. Mike, blind since birth, was born in Hartford, Connecticut. He was a six-time national placer, including two seconds, two-thirds, and two-fourths. He also won the Veterans Folk Style Wrestling twice at 152 pounds. In all these tournaments, he was the only blind competitor. Nancy Zorick, a creative spirit whose talents have taken her to the stage and into galleries and exhibitions in several states. Her father, a commercial artist who shared his instruments with his daughter and helped her fine-tune her natural abilities, influenced her decision to follow in his footsteps. Ms. Zorick has enjoyed a fruitful career doing what she loves. Listen Saturday mornings at 12 Eastern for The Nancy and Mike Show for heartwarming stories and interesting talk on the BBM Global Network. We are back with Sanity in Co-Parenting by Kin Crew. I'm Laura McMahon and Kathleen Fisher and I are talking about adolescence and mental health and all all of the mysteries around that and we were just about to kind of dive in a little bit deeper uh before the break and so Kathleen uh let's get back right into it where we left off that sounds great what I wish Laura is that everybody uh, every parent would sort of have this notion of a toolkit and here's the thing if you stop and think about it no kid is going to go through a perfect, flawless life, right? They're going to have setbacks. Some of them we can absolutely predict. Their beloved is going to break up with them, and it's going to break their heart. They're going to apply to a team or a college or an internship, and they're not going to get in. Um, they're going to break something that doesn't belong to them that really was important to someone else and they're going to feel awful about it. I mean, there are, they're not going to get invited to that birthday party that everybody cool got invited to. And so there are just this whole array of things that we know for sure our kid is going to encounter. And I believe it would be useful to us if we would begin to develop this idea that kids need a toolkit. What do you do when things go off the rails? Now, sometimes going off the rails is small scale. Sometimes going off the rails is major scale. Small scale is the girl that I thought was my best friend is having a birthday party over the summer, and I didn't get invited. And she posted pictures, and a lot of other people who aren't that good of friends with her showed up in those, but she didn't invite me. That would be a 12-year-old, 13-year-old off the rails a young adult or college kid off the rails. Uh, my boyfriend that I'm engaged to, we're talking about being married when I graduate from college, came to visit me over the weekend and was killed in a head-on crash as he drove back to his city. So, I mean, when I say off the rails, our kids have to face all different kinds of things. And so 
we don't know what those are going to be. So our kids need a variety of tools in their toolkit, okay? So some of those are, I gotta get myself through this difficult period of time where I've moved someplace where I don't know anybody, I don't have anything to do, I'm a little bit afraid. It might be I'm going to camp and I don't know anybody. It might be I got in a college where none of my friends are going. It might be I just got this super, super cool internship in London, but when the work week ends, I don't know a soul, okay? So what are some tools? And I would love if you stopped and thought about when things get difficult for you as a parent, what are some things that you know help you get through a difficult time? Let me just hit the pause button a second and say, I am a huge fan of dinner. <laughs> That's a whole night topic. I'm going on about dinner. <laughs> but one of the reasons is because this is a great place to talk about something like this. If you throw that conversation topic out with your kids, your spouse, their other parents, what do you do if you're having a hard time? What are some things that can work for you? And you begin to get them thinking about it. So you might hear, I run five miles. I play the guitar. I write in my journal. I pet my kitty. I pray. I put my fist through the window. I drive too fast. I get drunk. I play video games. I go to bed early. I take a nap. You begin to hear there's a huge variety of things that could be in our toolkit. Some of them are easy. I can do all by myself, go take a walk, run five miles. Some of them require a lot of money or other people. Some of them are flat out destructive, regardless what age you are. Okay? And it's a wonderful opportunity to talk as a family about positive ways that we can get ourselves out of a ditch and not so positive ways that we can get ourselves out of a ditch. And right next door to this is the question that I often will say if a kid's having a difficult time, what have you tried so far? And oftentimes they haven't even thought of it as trying different tools. What have you tried so far? Have you ever had this feeling in the past? What did you try? What worked for you pretty well then? Have you thought of doing that again? Is there a way to adapt it now that you're not in a familiar surrounding with your best friends or your brother nearby? I wonder if you could adapt that some way. Yeah, not I, I really love that question because I think that we're very much in the world of instant gratification. You bet. Um, and so it's like, oh, I have a problem. If it's not instantly solved, then it, it just maybe falls into the crisis category rather than what this question completely infers, which is you just haven't tried the right thing yet, right? Or, 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 or even better, you can probably figure this out. You have experience figuring it out. Love not it. this exact problem, but problem. So that so so it's not a critical. You just need to try harder. Mm -hmm. It's a reassurance that you have a history of being a person who figures out difficult things. And if I could just add one more little thing to this, it would be 
to underscore in bold in your parent brain. It is the nature of kids to grow. What they don't know how to do at the beginning of seventh grade, they figure out. It's their nature. We look at it as if, oh, my gosh, she's so insensitive and incompetent. He'll never get this right. Uh, it may seem that way, but in fact, kids are meant to grow. So our comments need to reflect our understanding, our expectation, our own confidence that they will. And that can be terrifically reassuring. Yeah, I, I think that that is a mindset shift that yes, you indeed. as a parent have to practice a little bit to get it right, especially Absolutely. if that's not not the way that you're used to coming at things. Okay. Yep. All right. We're, we're, it just gets better and better. I can't believe how fast the time is flying by here. We have to go to another quick break, um, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the other tools in the toolkit. So hang in there yep. and we'll be back in just a couple minutes. Sounds good. Author, radio show host, and coach, John M. Hawkins, reveals strategies to help gain perspective, build confidence, find clarity, achieve goals. John M. Hawkins' new book, Coached to Greatness, unlock your full potential with limitless growth. Published by iUniverse. Hawkins reveals strategies to help readers accomplish more. He believes the book can coach them to greatness. Hawkins says that the best athletes get to the top of their sport with the help of coaches, mentors, and others. He shares guidance that helps readers reflect on what motivates them, rediscover and assess their core values, philosophies, and competencies, find settings that allow them to be the most productive, and track their progress towards accomplishing goals. Listen to John Hawkins' My Strategy, Saturdays, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. Are you struggling to care for elderly parents or a spouse? Do you wonder if being a caregiver is making you sick? Are you worried about taking time off work to care for elderly parents and balance work, life, and caregiving? Has caregiving become exhausting and emotionally draining? Are you an aging adult who wants to remain independent, but you're not sure how? I'm Pamela D. Wilson. Join me for the Caring Generation radio show for caregivers and aging adults, Wednesday evenings, 6 Pacific, 7 Mountain, 8 Central, and 9 Eastern, where I answer these questions and share tips for managing stress, family relationships, health, well-being, and more. Podcasts and transcripts of The Caring Generation are on my website, PamelaDWilson.com, plus my caregiving library, online caregiver support programs, and programs for corporations interested in supporting working caregivers. Help, Hope, and Support for Caregivers is here on The Caring Generation and PamelaDWilson.com. I'm Laura McMahon, and we are back with Sanity in Co-Parenting by Kin Crew. I'm speaking with Kathleen Fisher this evening. And Kathleen, right before we went to the break, uh, we were talking about the items in the toolkit. And then specifically, you mentioned um, complaining versus venting. And I was hoping that you could expand a little bit more on that. I'd be delighted to. Um, I confess to borrowing this from Lisa Demore. And her book, Untangle, Lisa is terrific, terrific in the arena of teenage girls. And 
when I read this, I thought, oh my gosh, why didn't I know this 100 years ago? She differentiates between complaining and venting. And she says that complaining is code for somebody needs to fix this. Whereas venting is, I need someone who cares to listen to this. Now, as parents, we typically get really, really, really caught up in and super talented at dealing with the complaint. And when our kids says something, man, oh man, we just jump right in there and fix it. And, um, you know, a kid comes home and says, comes home from high school and says, uh, I waited and waited and waited. He was supposed to give me a ride home. And it turns out he left without me. So I didn't even have a ride. The parent jumps in and says, no problem, honey. I can pick you up tomorrow. All right. That would be if they were complaining. But perhaps they are venting. And more and more, we want to assume that. And so they might, so instead we might say, wow, that really stinks. And the kid says, yeah, you know, he is so unreliable. I think I'm going to have to ask somebody else for a ride or, you know, I, I guess I could always get the bus. Um, so they go on to solve it. When we rush to solution as if it were a complaint, like it was ours to fix, we shortcut the kid from having the opportunity to learn to problem solve. Now, remember, complaining equals somebody needs to fix this. Venting is I need someone who cares to hear me. And so listening and letting a kid know, oh, wow, that's really, that's a bad deal. Wow. No kidding. That says I hear you and I care. And that is doing something. Many of us dismiss this whole thing of listening, but I'm here to tell you, at this point in the universe, listening is such a lost art, and it is such a significant thing. You, I double-dog dare you to experiment with it this week. When your kid shows up with something and they're just venting away and you listen, I dare say they may come back later and say, thanks so much, Mom, for helping me. And you think about it, you really did nothing except to listen and go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I see what you mean. It's I, so I, I laugh because I, I'm the, I'm a huge fan of the vent. Um, yeah. <laughs> of course. I, I personally find it to be uh, very therapeutic and, and maybe even a, uh, a place to solve your own problems while you're venting out loud. It's almost like thinking At- out loud. <laughs> That is exactly what it is. That is exactly what it is. And and when we listen, the implication is, I'm pretty sure you're going to work this through. Think how empowering that is versus, well, now the thing you need to do, or just let me take care of it. I will solve this. Because the undercurrent in that message is, I don't have much confidence, and oh, by the way, you shouldn't either, in your ability to figure this out. Now, that is a dreadful message. It's a dreadful message to give our kids. But likewise, our spouse, our friend, our colleague, when we jump in to solve for someone, the undercurrent message is, I don't really have much faith in your ability. And so when we take that position, and so what are you thinking of? Now, one of my favorite expressions is, 
what haven't you tried yet? And the emphasis there is there on yet. Now, sometimes kids haven't thought of that way and they'll go, I don't know, mom. I don't know. I don't want to talk about it. Okay, that's fine. Because you have planted the seed that implies there's something that, you know, there's a stone that hasn't been turned over yet. And it's in their court whether or not they wish to do that. Another question I love under the heading of venting is, mm, are you thinking of doing anything about it? Because sometimes we get very frustrated. We think, well, you just need to march back into that friend and tell them blah, blah, blah. You need to go tell that coach. Um, that is not our decision to make. And sometimes a kid has to rehearse it, think about it, weigh and measure it. You know, I could say that, but what's it going to cost me? And what are the chances I'm going to come out of it well if I tell the teacher they're an idiot? Hmm, probably it's not going to go that well. And and so you're exactly right. When we do not get in the middle of solving, it allows them the time. And if we're not judgmental or quick to rush on that listening, it allows them to pour out the pieces of the puzzle and begin to move them around until they can make sense of it for themselves. And that is so much more valuable than the answer is 12, right? Right. So, Absolutely. That makes so much sure, sense. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm over here furiously scribbling away on my, <laughs> on my notepad. <laughs> well, drop into one of my online classes. Let me just say one other thing. Is that if I ask every parent listening, raise your hand if you have a perfect kid. I, without even seeing them, I know the answer because nobody's got a perfect kid. All right. So why does it surprise us when they mess up? So they so they had that fight with their best friend and we sort of listened and they came up with this plan and then they mucked it up. Um, yeah. It's no surprise. They're in a learning process. And if you go back and you're really honest with your own self about your own adolescence, I mean, I, I couldn't begin to count the number of missteps, missed opportunities, flat out muck ups, right? And our kids are going to do those too. And that's not a disaster. That's a learning process. So I know we sort of skirted around your interest in mental health, but I think we're mislabeling a lot of normal stuff as a mental crisis. And I'm not so sure they are. Yeah, I, I would ag I would agree with that. And I think that there's, you know, some bigger issues uh, contributing to the overuse of labels, like, I mean, social media is a whole thing that we could probably spend a, an entire hour just talking about. Um, but I would agree with you that maybe the initial approach is really what makes the biggest difference in how it ends up coming out. And so um, that's super helpful. We do have to go to our, our last break here. Um, but when we come back, uh, a little bit more information for you and um, and also where to find Kathleen if you want to hear more. So hang in there. We'll be right back. According to the American Nurses Association, there are approximately three and a half to four million nurses in the United States. So where do all these nurses work? What kind of roles do they have? What kind of education and training help to prepare them for so many different settings? 
what kind of impact do nurses have on patient outcomes? The World Health Organization has announced that 2020 will be the year of the nurse, honoring the 200th birth anniversary of Florence Nightingale. An international initiative called Nursing Now is underway to raise the profile of nursing. The National Academy of Medicine has convened a committee to create the future of nursing 2020 to 2030 that will focus on how the nursing profession can create a culture of health, reduce health disparities, and improve the health and well-being of the U.S. population. Learn more and join Joyce Batchelor on All About Nursing, Wednesdays from 7 to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time on the BBM Global Network. Have you ever wondered why some children recover from their symptoms of autism while others never seem to get any better? After 13 years of research, Karen Thomas has recovered her own son from his symptoms of autism naturally. She now shares how she did it with you in her free webinar so that you can have the right resources and knowledge to help your child. The definition of recovery is to regain health. Karen offers this to you in four stages. Healing the gut, natural heavy metal detoxification, balancing the co-infections of autism, brain support, and repair. Register now for this free webinar to help you know what you can do to help your child to sleep better, be more calm, improve focus, and reach their fullest potential to live a happy, healthy life. Go to naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop. Empowering parents with the resources to naturally recover autism from a mom who's done it. We're back with Sanity and Co-Parenting by Kin Crew. I'm Laura McMahon, and this evening I've been speaking with Kathleen Fisher. And uh, just before before we get into our, our last little bit here, Kathleen, I want to make sure that people know where to find you um, to to look up more, look up these online classes, um, and that is KathleenFisher.com, and Fisher is spelled F-I-S-H-E-R. And, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. F-I-S-C-H-E-R. F-I-S-C. I even looked at it <laughs> as I said it out loud. <laughs> Woo, dyslexia strikes again. Okay. F-I-S-C-H-E-R dot com. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm really excited about the online classes because I certainly will be tuning in even though uh, my youngest stepson is now 16. Um, as you know, I'm about to have a, a newborn and I am definitely going to be <laughs> bookmarking all of this for the future as we go through it all over again. So <laughs> I think you um, get extra course. points, Laura. <laughs> Or just, or we're just crazy, but <laughs> one, yeah. one, one or the other. Yeah. It's the best. It's the best. Hey, um, along that along that line, there's something that I'd like to say about that. And we our, our sort of our topic tonight that you start out with, and I'm not exactly sure that I've hit square on point of mental health, but I, I'd like to I'd like to draw a metaphor, if I may. Um, most everybody who has had a toddler has had the experience that the little guy is learning to walk, learning to walk, and his feet don't quite work right and his balance is not so great and he he's out on the sidewalk and he gets to walking faster than you know he can coordinate and he's walking faster 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 and sure enough he just takes this 
nosedive into the concrete. And he tends, the first thing he's going to do is look up to see what mom or dad says. And if they say, oh no, he bursts into tears and it's a train wreck. If they say, uh-oh, hop up, dust off, his little lip out and he's kind of thinking it was pretty bad, but mom and dad say, it's okay, I guess I can do it. That metaphor, that image of the child looking to the parent to more or less pose the question, how bad is it, is a metaphor that, as far as I can tell, continues throughout life. When our kid takes a fall, when our kid goes splatto, whether it is not making the team or getting left out or having a car wreck or, you know, whatever may come their way, it has been my observation that in a heartbeat, the kid directs their gaze to the parents as if to say, how bad is this? Am I going to be able to recover? Now, I'm telling you, life can deal some pretty stuff, tough stuff to our kids. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, we need to be very mindful of our reaction is going to help our kids set the pace for whether or not and how they're going to be able to re- be resilient. Awesome. I mean, I couldn't, we probably couldn't end on a better note, although I will say, Kathleen, that um, we may need to be, we may need to schedule another episode because I think that we've (laughs) just, we've just skimmed the surface of everything that we could really get into here. But um, thank you so much for coming on. If, uh, if you'd like to, if you missed the beginning of our episode and you'd like to hear it, we will have it up on our website, kincrew.io, K-I-N, C-R-E-W.io and uh, Kathleen Fisher, F-I-S-C-H-E-R.com, where you can find Christine for more. um, I mean, Kathleen for more. So Kathleen, thank you so much for coming on. And um, I think we'll have to be in touch about scheduling another episode. (laughs) Sounds fun to me. I look forward to it. And it might be fun to have parents write in questions. That'd be fun. All right. There you go. So anyone interested in a specific question, please go ahead and send it in. We've got a form on our website all set up for that. Um, so if you've got a question you'd love Kathleen to address, just send it in and we'll we'll get that on the books. Thank you so much, Kathleen. I uh, really appreciate your time this evening. Great. Y'all have a good evening. Thank you. Thank you. This has been Finding Sanity in Co-Parenting with host Laura McMahon. Listen each week as Laura helps you eliminate potential conflicts by giving you the tools and knowledge to reduce stress and focus on what's best for you and your child's well-being. So tune in each week and become a better co-parent with Laura McMahon's Finding Sanity in Co-Parenting. been listening to the BBM Global Network. 
The ideas, views, and opinions of this broadcast are those of the participants of the program and are not necessarily the ideas, views, and opinions of the BBM Global Network Company. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.